Good to be back here again with you. Uh, I think the last time I was here was sometime in the uh, uh, latter part of January as you were getting ready to welcome your new pastor, Scott, here. And uh, now he's taking a little bit of a much-earned vacation. Uh, join me in prayer as we pray for God's work around the world in um, various locations, um, places that I know of, places that we've never heard of before. God's kingdom is working there. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that your spirit knows no bounds, no people too hard to reach, no places too hard to go to, no hearts too difficult to change. We thank you, Father, that your kingdom is growing. Sometimes we look at the kingdom here in the United States and have our reservations, our doubts, because it seems like it's one step forward and another step backward. But still your kingdom is growing. We pray, Father, for your people, those who are missionaries by profession, I guess, and those who are sharing the gospel because they are so grateful for what you have done for them. We pray in those places where there's war. We think of Ukraine, think of Northeast India, uh, Nigeria, a number of other places where the gospel is being attacked. We ask you to work in such a way that your gospel cannot be stopped, that it keeps growing. We pray for those areas that are experiencing drought or floods, uh, difficulties, and your people needing you to walk with them, provide for them. Do so in ways that your people can't miss it. They have to give you the glory and the credit. We pray for your missionaries that you have sent throughout the world. Many of them are a long distance from home, whether it be the United States or Canada or Korea or wherever. We ask that you provide for them fellowship, encouragement. Bring Christians across their path who could uh, fellowship with them. Lord, help them not to be caught up in looking at results, but more looking simply to be faithful to you, to the specific work you've called them to. We pray for us here at, at home that we are more faithful to pray for your servants throughout the world. And we pray for us here at home because we're your missionaries also. You've given us a great commission to go 
not, not so much across the seas, but across the street. Lord, help us to care enough about the lost that we must share Jesus with them, that we can't keep quiet. You have blessed us with eternal life. And there are so many others who need that life. Cause us to forget about ourselves, our fears, our reservations, and to go. And as we go, simply share the joy of the Lord, who is our strength. Lord, we ask that your kingdom does come with power and joy and might. Open our eyes to see the fields that are white. Open our eyes to see the hearts that are hurting and hungry. Open our hearts to reach out to these people and love them in little tangible ways. And then, Father, open our minds to recognize when you give opportunities and open our lips to speak forth and to share the good news. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is being done already in heaven. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen. We're going to be looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, because I'm convinced this is one of the most important passages in all the Bible. As soon as I say that, I think, now wait a minute. It's all God's Word, so it's all important. But maybe this is particularly timely. Maybe that's a better word than saying important. Timely for us as God's people. Now what? Have you ever found yourself asking that question or maybe asking God that question? Nobody in particular. Now what do I do? Now where do I go? I recently bought a truck, something that I've needed to do for some time because my wife and I haul a lot of furniture for the Christian school that we're involved in and I'm I've gotten tired of asking to borrow other people's trucks. So after looking probably for at least a year, I found a truck that uh, was reasonably priced, that was still in very good condition. And I bought it, brought it home, parked it next to our uh, Chevy Malibu and our Hyundai Elantra. 
And then the question hit me. Now what do I do? We've got three vehicles here. And my wife and I can only drive two at a time. Now what are we going to do with that extra one? Now what is one of those questions that I think often comes when good things happen or when things come that we weren't prepared for. And we wonder, what's the next step? I think that's the situation here for God's people in Hebrews chapter 12. So let's stand as I read just the first three verses of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility in himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you cause your Holy Spirit to interpret this supernatural word to us. Father, you know where each of us are, where our hearts are, what our situation is, and we need you to take the word and apply it to us and our situations. And so we ask, Father, that you open our hearts to your word and you open your word to our hearts. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. The writer of Hebrews has just finished laying out for us a chapter 11 which is sometimes called the Hall of Faith. Uh, it lists a lot of the great saints of the Old Testament. You have Abel, you have Noah, uh, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, uh, you have David, uh, you have the judges. And then you have a lot of people who aren't even named here who have gone through all kinds of difficulties and uh, uh, have nevertheless walked by faith. And we read a chapter like that, and when we finish, we say, huh, now what? What am I supposed to do with this? I think the answer to that question is going to totally impact the rest of our Christian lives. What the writer of Hebrews has done for us is shown us that Christ has given us our faith and given us a walk with him, and he describes it in terms of a long-distance race. That's what the Christian life is about. So how do we live that Christian life. Well, since the Christian life is by faith, we ought to focus on the object of our faith. And as soon as I say that, you probably are thinking, well, duh, 
Yeah, of course. Tell me something new. Tell me something practical. Well, I think this is about as practical as you're going to get if we figure out how we are to run that race, how we are to uh, live it. When I ask people, how do you know if you're going to go to heaven? I often get answers like, well, I try to be good. I try to keep the commandments as best as I can. Um, I go to church regularly. I try to love my neighbors. And those are all good. They're important. But that can't be the object of our faith. If your faith is in how well you do certain things, how hard you try, how well you live up to God's expectations and rules, then your faith is in the wrong object. And you're going to give up at some point. It's the wrong target. The writer here says we are surrounded by a group of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? What are they responding to? What are they witnessing about? Well, what we're going to look at this morning is the context of our faith, the content of our faith, and the command that goes with that. First of all, the context of our faith. You notice the passage starts out with therefore. Anytime you have a therefore, you know that it's alerting you because of what's gone before, because of what's been written before. Therefore, you do something. Because of the indicatives, the truths that have been given here, here is how we are to apply them in our lives. As I said, chapter, seven, uh, chapter 11 tells us about these great heroes of the faith, witnesses. Are they witnesses of us? In other words, are they up there in the stands in heaven watching us, <clears throat> spectators, seeing how we're doing, uh, encouraging us along the way, maybe uh, shouting, you can do it! If that's what's happening, then we are not going to finish the race. Because sooner or later, we're going to run into obstacles that are just so difficult that we're tempted to throw up our hands and say, I can't do it anymore. I just can't follow you, Lord. But this crowd is not witnessing of us. It is witnessing to us. It is telling us how they did what they did. This really is not about what they did. It's about how they were able to do the things that they did. They are witnessing about the Lord. 
who helped them to do what they did. They had faith in him. That faith was given to them to trust, to believe, to obey. They looked to Jesus, the Redeemer, the Chosen One of God. And they are telling us in verse 2, look at Jesus. You believe in him, look at him. Watch him. The author, we sometimes say the founder and perfecter of our faith, the object of our faith. Now, please understand, I'm not trying to split theological hairs. I'm not trying to focus on little bitty prepositions or things like that. It makes all the difference if we understand who the crowd is and how and what they're witnessing about. That's why we've got to get the context correct. If we understand who the crowd is and what they are saying, what they're doing, what the, why they are there, it makes all of the difference. Some of you maybe remember a football player by the name of Jim Marshall. Jim Marshall <clears throat> played for linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings. And he's, no <clears throat> he's known as the Iron Man of football. He played 270 games straight. And if you're playing as a linebacker, that's pretty good because you get beat up as a linebacker. And he's known for his endurance. Jim Marshall's not in the Hall of Fame. Hall, Hall of Fame for, the, uh, for football. He ought to be. But he probably isn't for one play. He picked up during a, uh, during a football game with the San Francisco 49ers. He picked up a fumble and he ran to the goal to score. The problem was he ran to the wrong end zone. He scored a touchdown all right. But as he's running, <clears throat> the crowd is yelling. All he can hear is the noise. He can't make out the words. But the crowd is yelling, wrong way, wrong way. Are you and I hearing that crowd of witnesses in heaven and understanding what they're saying. If you think you're hearing them say, you can do it, you're in the wrong race. If you think that you are hearing them say, try harder, you're in the wrong race. If you're hearing them say, follow me, do what I did, you're in the wrong race. If you're not hearing Jesus, 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 you're in the wrong race. The Christian race is not only on Sundays, it's 24-7. 
wherever you are, in those 24 hours, seven days a week, are you where you can hear about Jesus in one way or another? Check the context of your faith. And then as you check the context of your faith, check the content of your faith. The content of our faith must be about Jesus, it must be Jesus, and it must totally be Jesus, and only Jesus. I think for too many Christians, it is faith in Jesus plus something else. Faith in Jesus plus having the right political beliefs and stands. Faith in Jesus and homeschooling. Faith in Jesus and sending your children to the Christian school. Faith in Jesus and doing this and that. Or not this and that on Sunday. It's faith in Jesus and adding other things to it. No, the content has to be totally Jesus. What is it about Jesus that we ought to know? Well, first of all, that he's our Savior. He is the founder, which means the author, the, the originator, the source, the start of our faith. And as the author, with the Father and the Spirit, he's designed our faith and how it works. He gives, he creates faith by giving us, by being the Word, we hear the Word, we read the Word, we believe what it says, and we begin to apply it. And then it says He is the perfecter of our faith. Now, that word, very interesting word, it means the one who finishes who fulfills, who brings it all together. It's the very same word from which the last words of Jesus on the cross come from. Tetelestai. It is finished. And that is such a crucial statement by Jesus. What he's saying there is, it's all done. I have done it all for you. You don't have to add anything to it. I have finished. The race. I am giving you the faith now that you need. There's nothing more that we can or that we should add. We trust in all that Jesus did. What else is our faith in about Jesus? Well, I think the details in verses 2 and 3 here can really be summed up with the word suffering. We trust in a Savior who suffered. That's the reason I had you reading Isaiah 53 and then Philippians chapter 2 because they focus on Christ's suffering. Now, whenever Jesus wanted to talk about how he was going to need to suffer, the disciples changed the subject. They didn't want to talk about that. 
whenever he talked about suffering, the Jewish leaders couldn't fathom that. How could the Messiah, the chosen one, suffer? That simply wasn't in their mindset. It wasn't in their vocabulary. And so when Jesus rose from the dead and he spoke with his disciples on the road to Emmaus, you remember how it says he began with, the prophet, with Moses and the prophets and showed them how the Messiah must suffer. Paul, in Acts 26, 23, as he's talking and sharing about Christ, says the scriptures talk about the Messiah suffering. Yes, there's joy in the Christian life, but suffering comes first before joy, as verse 2 explains. You read through the context here, Hebrews 11. So many of those verses are about God's people in the Old Testament suffering. If you look at uh, verse 4, verse 13, verse 25, 26, 33 through 38, a fourth of these verses are about how they suffered for their faith. And Jesus suffered. The Christian life today and running that race is still about enduring the suffering. Because we're living in a world where there's sin. And where there's sin, there's always going to be suffering. That's simply the way it is. We have to have a Savior who understands suffering and who understands it firsthand because he suffered. And he knows how to pray for us and how to encourage us. If your faith cannot handle suffering, if you don't want to hear about or talk about suffering, if when you go through suffering, your first prayer is, Lord, get me out of this. Take this away from me. Then you're in the wrong race. And you don't have a whole lot of content to your faith. The Christian life is about suffering and running the race in the midst of that suffering. We've studied the context. We've looked at the content. Now we come to the now what in these verses. Now what? The command. And the command is in verse 3. It's the only command in these verses. Consider. Consider. That word means to calculate very carefully. To think to compare. The Christian life is about thinking. Carefully thinking, not just feeling. Especially not just feeling. Calculating. Comparing. 
If there's a key word in the book of Hebrews, it's the word better. Eleven times that word appears in Hebrews. The writer is telling the Jewish Christians, don't give up. Don't go back to what you had or thought you had when you were a Jew and only a Jew. You have something better. You have a better Savior. You have a better covenant. You have a better home that you're looking forward to. You have a better hope. You have better promises. You have a better life. And as soon as you say that word better, there's comparison. And so you're thinking through your faith. These are all comparisons. You can't know what's better unless you compare and you use the right standard for your comparison. And that standard is Jesus. Now that Christ has found it and he has finished our faith, now that Christ has given us that faith and given us the life in which to exercise that faith, now we run the race. And since we said that the Christian life involves suffering, we must endure. It's interesting that in these three verses here, one, two, and three, you have the word endure occurring again and again. To endure, we in consider, we think about how Jesus endured. What did he endure? How much did he endure? And we compare how we're doing to that. Now, not comparing in the sense that we beat ourselves up, I failed again, I didn't walk with, with Christ during this uh, suffering. That's not the point of it. The point is to look at Jesus and be encouraged by him because he is the measurement, because he is the model, and he's not going to fail. And when we do that, our response is simply to marvel to be amazed at what he did and to, be, to recognize that because he's living in us, by his grace, we can walk in that endurance as well. So how do we consider Jesus? Verse, chapter, verse 3 says, look at what he did. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 talks about looking at him, noticing him. When you're in a race, you better have your eyes open. And you better be looking at the right thing. For many, many years, everybody simply thought nobody can ever run a mile under four minutes. And then in 1954, Roger Bannister, uh, an English doctor, ran the mile in less than four minutes. And everybody was overwhelmed by that. A couple of weeks later, an Australian man, John Landy, also ran the race in under four minutes. And it set up what came to be known as the Miracle Mile later that year during the uh, Commonwealth Games in Vancouver. Lundy versus Bannister. 
And when the race began, Landy took off, and he was leaning all the way through the race until they made the last turn, and he happened to glance over his left shoulder to see where Bannister was. And as soon as he did, Bannister shot past him and finished. The very first edition of Sports Illustrated had a picture of the two of them crossing the line and Bannister crossing before Landy. Bannister finished that mile in three minutes and 58 seconds, uh, 58 and 8 tenths of a second, and Landy in 359.6 seconds. You have to know that Landy wondered for the rest of his life. What if I hadn't looked over my shoulder? What if I had kept looking straight? And that goes for us. How often we are distracted by all the stuff around us. How other people are doing in their run, walk with the Lord and their run with the Lord. but we're to keep our eyes on Jesus because he's the one that finished the race. He's up ahead. We are following him. Now, maybe this sounds a little bit like uh, a very popular phrase a couple of years ago. What would Jesus do? You remember that? That was... Uh, started or revived, I guess is a better word, by Garrett Sheldon in the 1990s. Sheldon republished an updated version of his great-grandfather, Charles Sheldon's book, In His Steps. He was in the 1890s. He got that idea from a sermon, same title, by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon thought about it from a book of the 1400s, Thomas Akempis's The Imitation of Christ. It's about imitating Jesus. We don't have to wonder what would Jesus do in this or that situation. We can know what did Jesus do in this or that situation because it's given to us in his word. And I'm not just talking about the gospel. I'm talking about all of scripture, the Old Testament, the saints who are running with Christ. Jesus is active in the Old Testament as well. And we can see what he did do as we read in the scriptures, as we study the scriptures of God together. There's no speculation. There's no shortcut. There's no substitute for simply reading and studying and knowing God's word with other people of God. So what? This is what? This is what the Christian life is about now. You want to see some of your elders jump up and down. You want to see Pastor Scott jump up and down. 
go up to him or them this week and say to them, I really want to be in God's word more. Can you show me how? And they will be jumping up and down to show you. This is the so what. It's that simple. In some ways complex, but very simple. Be in God's word where you see Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. You pray with me? Father, I know I've taken a lot of time to simply say something very simple, and yet we have to keep going back to it because we're told to look to Jesus, to look at Jesus. And it's your word. It's Jesus, the word, who tells us how to run the race. Father, I pray that that simple truth sticks with all of us. We all can confess that uh, we're not in your word the way we should be, the way we want to be many times. We get bored, we get distracted, we get too busy with the stuff of this world. Pull us back, Father. Pull us back. And give us a hunger for your word. Because it's a hunger for Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.